The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome back to another edition of The Chris Sheeran Show on YesNetwork.com and the iTunes. You can download this fantastic podcast by going to iTunes, typing in my name, Chris Sheeran, and it'll pop up and you click it, you download it, and you have some fun with me and Lou. And today, another special guest, Mr. Devin Carpardian of the BrooklynGame.com which is partnered with yes, the yes network. Yes network.com. That is correct. Uh, Devin, thanks for joining us. A little Brooklyn Nets basketball. You're back, baby. We're back. It's been a long summer. <laughs> I don't know. It feels longer than usual. Well, it's probably going to be a long winter as well. Uh, <laughs> I mean, now listen, I, I don't want to get all over this team because in their opener against the bulls, as we uh, tape this before their two game back to back sweep through, uh, San Antonio and Memphis, which begins tonight. But they opened up with the Bulls on Wednesday, uh, Devin. And, you know, they, they went down 16 early, but this team showed you, especially the bench, you know, the, the youth, the athleticism that comes off the bench, that, you know, this team can show signs that it is going to turn around. Uh, I don't know how many wins you're going to get out of it, but they did show some signs of positivity. You agree with that? Oh, definitely. And I think what, what's really interesting about the bench is that they've got all these guys who are hungry. You know, right. they've got guys who need to prove that they, they have to prove the themselves. NBA. Correct. Like Thomas Robinson might not get another contract if he can't land here. Shane Larkin, the same way. Bargnani, the same way. Uh, Ron Alice Jefferson needs to prove that he can play in the league. And like you saw that, I think, in that second quarter, you know, they were just, they were making plays. Yeah. Like the bench was making plays. The ball movement was there too, Devin. That's another thing I saw, you know, last year. There were two things, uh, and then I'll let Lou uh, ask you his first question, but there were two things last year uh, about this team. The ball movement would be there for about the first six minutes of the first quarter, and then, like Casper, it would vanish. <laughs> and, and then also, I remember, God, more than two handfuls and maybe my feetfuls, too, of times, especially when there was an analyst here looking across them at the desk as the clock was running down and the post game was about to start, Jim Spinarkle or Donnie Marshall and saying, you know, if they just hit half of their threes, they, they would have won this game. And that's the same exact thing that happened again. Uh, and, you know, throw in the defense there, which is what Lionel Hollins talked about in the postgame after the Bulls lost. But it, it seems like the same problems. And the perimeter game, if you're looking for it, I don't know what you're going to try to come up with here with this Nets team this year, Devin. I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. They, so they didn't make a single three-pointer in that first game. 0 for 9. I mean, they didn't, 0 for 9. And nine three-pointers, is not. they haven't shot that few from beyond the arc in, like, I think four years. I, yeah. up, I think it was 2011. Like, this is not a team that has a lot of shooters. But you also, like, like you want Joe Johnson to get three, four threes up again. You want Boyan and, you know, uh, Wayne Ellington to get three or four shots of a game. You know, you want to have guys, you want Bargnani to shoot a couple threes. Like, you shouldn't be shooting nine threes in the game in the NBA in 2015. You just should not be doing that over a 48-minute game. Um, so that's, that's a real problem. You mentioned Wayne Ellington there. as He's kind of, I guess, the, he's the new 3 and D guy, I guess, the new Allen Anderson. He's I would a three assume, guy. I assume, right, a three guy, anyway. But he, he's the one guy that, that would be on that second unit, uh, you know, nominally, that has been a rotation player in the NBA for multiple teams, unfortunately, but has been a rotation player in the NBA. Him starting the other night, was that more a function of, you know, Jared Jack's out, Shane Larkin's in, we need a shooter on the floor with the first unit? Or is that more a function of, we don't have a shooter on the second unit, so Boyan's going to be there because he's all we got? I think that's part of it. I mean, Boyan is also, he's been hurt in the preseason. He got hurt when he was playing in Europe. He didn't have a great preseason. Uh, You know, he didn't really show that he was, you know, there's the whole talk of, like, Boyan needs to make the leap this year. And I think he does, too, and I think he's got it in him. But he didn't really show it to, to Lionel Hollins in the first month when they're playing, you know, Fenerbahce and all these other teams. So I think that was more a function of we're not really sure if Boyan's ready to play 30 minutes a game yet. Um, and Wayne has done that. So I think you see that, you know, Hollins trusted him at some point with that. Devin, I look at this front line that the Nets run out there with their starting lineup, and you could tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, it won't be the first time, it won't be the last time the host has been long, so wrong, so don't be afraid to say it. You cover this team, and you know the NBA like the back of your hand. I think it's one of the top front lines out there. I mean, you have Brooke Lopez, Thad Young, and Joe Johnson. There is nothing wrong with that front line. Now, it's a football Friday, 
But the World Series is also going on, so I'm going to throw a little baseball wrinkle into this. You could have, well, listen, uh, your first and second guy in the lineup, they have to set the table. Just like your one and your two in the NBA have to set up your three, four, and five. If you rely on that front line, you're not going to win a lot of games. And I think, you know, I'm not breaking any news here, Devin, but the Nets' backcourt is not going to be one of their strengths this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if the three, four, five the Nets have is like one of the best in the league. There's a lot of really, really good. No, there are, but it, you know, if you look at the roster, you know, and everybody just says those are their three best players, right? That's yeah. yeah. And when you run it out there, you're like, oh, okay, not bad. But then you look at the backcourt, like you said, the, Joe Johnson said it's not that bad here in your article, which was freaking genius the way you wrote that, by the way. On the BrooklynGame.com, I got to give you some credit. That was tremendous. Um, but is it really not that bad here? I mean, uh, uh, give me a ballpark. I mean, throw out there a number that you think the Nets could come close to with with wins this year. Well, my my official prediction, and thanks, was uh, was twenty eight wins on the season. I think, which is relatively realistic. I think you could probably see them knock up to thirty. I think the the thing with the the three four five which you're mentioning, which is Joe. Thaddeus and Brooke. They're all talented NBA. Like, they're very good NBA players. In theory, they all work really well. Um, the problem becomes with Brooke, you have to figure out how you're going to get him in the ball in position to score. And that comes down to your one and two, which we already have discussed is not on the same level as Joe Thaddeus and Brooke. Um, Thaddeus, I think, fits in pretty much anywhere. That's like a guy you don't worry about. You know, he'll score 16 a game, and you never even, like, think about him trying to score. Um, and, and Joe is like, I think Joe's in a weird place right now because he's at the point in his career where he's not a focal option. He's not like a 20 point scorer. He's not what he was in Atlanta or even the first couple of years in Brooklyn. He's now like a guy who needs to take a step back and kind of show these younger guys, you know, how to play the game. Um, you know, he's going to get a couple of ISOs, but he's got to be the kind of guy who can set the table for everybody else. And, and I don't really know if he's, necessarily comfortable with that yet i mean he's always been a really good passer but you saw in that third quarter we talked about the ball movement earlier i mean it was joe johnson iso over and over again and it wasn't going anywhere and then they fell down by 16 18 again so i think like in theory there are talented nba players in this team and there are guys who have a lot to prove which is helpful when you have like when you want to surprise people with expectations but you know you have to see it and it's only one game but we haven't seen it yet let me throw something out at you here, and we're one game into the season, so there's 81 more to go, and even even as brutal of a stretch as the Nets have through November. Yeah. Let, let, me, let me throw something at you. We've seen, in, in the Brooklyn era, we've seen Reggie Evans become a starter because he worked the best with Brooke Lopez, and Chris Humphreys worked better with Andre Blatch on the front line. We've seen Joe Johnson spend a lot of time with the second unit at times because the, the first unit was so loaded that Johnson kind of came in and was a calming influence, a, a versatile guy on the second unit. You mentioned the, the second unit, and, and this is true, is, is a lot of guys who are hungry. Alan Anderson's not there anymore. Jarrett Jack is now the starting point guard. Some of these, you know, Mason Plumlee is in, is in Portland. So there, these experienced guys that were there last year are now gone. You know, Kevin Garnett even fit into that category for a little while last Fierza year. Fierza is in Phoenix. Fierza is in <laughs> Phoenix. Kirilenko, I mean, Kirilenko's gone, but you know what I'm saying. All these guys that were here last year and the year before, this was a solid, at least veteran, guys who knew how to play in the NBA second unit. Now, like you said, it's guys like Ellington, and then there's Robinson, who needs to prove he can play, and Larkin, who needs to prove he can play, and RHJ is a rookie. Just throwing this out there, is there a possibility at some point that maybe Joe just becomes the focal point of the second unit as that veteran presence to come out here? And if his... His function is maybe more to help the Thomas Robinsons, the Shane Larkins, the RHJs of the world versus being the third or fourth option on that starting unit. Oh, totally. I think that's a very real possibility, especially because, you know, if, if Shane Larkin can, pr- I'm sorry, if Jared Jack can prove that he can, you know, kind of set the table with the offense, you know, they don't, that's, they, they're not going to need Joe Johnson as much in the first unit because a lot of Joe's value is that he's kind of a, he's an understated, smart, offensive guy when he's not looking for ISO so he can get like really really good looks for teammates and then hit the occasional spot of three if he's playing with that second unit it makes it easier for him to set the table for younger guys who are trying to make it in the league you know so it it makes a lot of sense to have him there the problem is they need to make sure they can still get offense in that first unit and if they can't do that then you can't 
you can't take Joe out of there because he's the guy who can get you offense. Um, so that that's kind of how I see it. Um, I think if, the, if Jarrett Jack shoots a little better this year and, and Burke gets going and maybe Boyan gets back in the starting lineup, I think you could even see you know Rondé into the starting lineup. You know, because he's a really great defensive presence. And they need somebody like that. You know, to play because they don't really have much defense on their team at all, much less the starting lineup. And he's a guy who can provide that, um, especially against the small forwards this league has. So I can see that maybe happening. But you have to get to a point where you know where your bread is buttered in the starting lineup first. Yeah, what are your uh, what are your quick impressions of Hollis Jefferson so far, Devin? He he really showed some flashes in that game against the Bulls, uh, playing denial defense, getting a couple of steals. Uh, he he really looks like I mean he might be rough around the edges, but he looks like he could really stick in the league. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I I, I posed this question on Twitter yesterday as a joke, which is that. Is Rondé Hollis Jefferson already the best wing defender the Nets have ever had <laughs> <laughs> after one game? And and it's kind of, it's a joke, obviously, but it's also you go down the line in Nets history, and it's like, well, there's Richard Jefferson, there's Kendall Gill, there's John Williamson, there's Allen Anderson, and that's kind of like, like maybe he is. <laughs> he's he's I, I love his energy. I think he's got you know an incredible motor. His jump shot needs a ton of work, but they have him for four years, so they can develop that. He's still 20 years old, and that's like the one thing that you can really develop as your career progresses. You can't develop the type of motor and defensive intensity that Hollis Jefferson has. Um, so I think he's got a really good chance to stick in this league. Uh, I think a lot of people are rooting for him because he's just he's a, he's a really nice guy. Um, I'm sure you saw the video where he bought his mom a house. Yes. I mean, it's just kind of the, the, the guy exudes bubbliness and happiness. And I remember uh, at the NBA draft, I, uh, I was walking in the back area after they drafted Hollis Jefferson, and his family was in the back. And uh, I, I looked at his mom and I said to her, you know, he, he seems like such a great guy. He's, he's kind of, it's one in the morning on a Thursday night, and he's just the most excited guy on the planet. And I say to her, I'm like, like you, know, it's, it's, you know, he's just bubbly. He's, I can't believe it this time of night. And she says, it's always like this. <laughs> he's just nonstop. Our, so our, I, go ahead, buddy. No, I, just, I think that he's got a really good chance to stick in the league, and when you have a guy with energy like that on and off the court, it's somebody you want to see succeed. Well, my, my follow-up to that, our, our producer, Eric Roldan, uh, has been out there for BK Connect, by the way, which will make its triumphant return with Rod Boone from Newsday and Devin from the Brooklyn game. Who are about the only two beat writers left, unfortunately. Everybody's yeah. leaving. Steph's with the Knicks. <laughs> Everybody's leaving. Timmy Bontemps is going national. Yeah. So uh, Anyway, sorry. Just yeah, that's all right. That. You can throw that in there. But he, he came back and he told me, uh, you know, when you fill in for Sarah, you're going to love being in this locker room. Now, the question with this is, you know, I, I know the pallor that has been, you know, in that locker room. Uh, and it wore number eight <laughs> uh, for, for his tenure here with Brooklyn. And all jokes aside, I mean, look, it's not like you could have cut the tension with a knife in there. I don't want to be over dramatic about it, but didn't you feel there was some kind of divide in that locker room when he was in there? And what do you sense in that locker room now? Yeah, I think that you could absolutely say that. I mean, there was, let, let me just give you an example. You know, last year we go in the locker room about 10, 15 minutes after the game, um, you know, after we talked to Lionel and we walk in and nobody's in there. They're all hiding out there in the showers. They're like hunting, not looking at anybody. They're not, they're in the back area. They're in private. Now we went in in preseason. We've gone in the first game. Everyone's in the locker room and people are chatting. They're having a good time. They really seem to be comfortable with one another. And I mean, that doesn't necessarily translate to a great basketball team, but just having that type of culture where it's guys who want to be around each other, who are, you know, willing to laugh and be a part of a team camaraderie. There's a value in that when you have guys who are 22, 23, 24 years old, who are like, you know, just trying to get their NBA footing. So I think, and you talked about this a little earlier about what the, the kind of outlook is for the, this team. I think the best thing this team can do is to build on the culture that they want of guys who want to be there. And in the locker room, you have that now. Granted, in March, who knows if they're, you know, 15 and 60, if they're going to still be like that. But for now, at least, you have this group who just seems like, even though there's no expectations, even though no one thinks they're going to play well, even though the goal is you know, just to make the playoffs, not even you know, compete in the playoffs, just to get there, you have a group of guys who wants to be in Brooklyn. You have Brooke Lopez, who's been begging to be in Brooklyn his entire career and still is somehow here. I mean, you've got guys who are 
who are you know good guys and who I mean at least you know at least to each other. I think that there is some sort of value in that. Yeah, it may not you know that may not make a a, a mediocre team good or so on and so on, but it's definitely not going to be a bad thing. It's not going to make them worse as a bad attitude could. One right. of those and then you've got yeah. free agents who see what the culture in Brooklyn is like two years ago or last year, and they don't necessarily want to join a culture like that. You see a team that has guys who are who like each other, there's continuity, there's you know a comfort, you know things kind of that, that changes the need a little bit. Yeah, every every clubhouse with the Yankees too. It's like every clubhouse needs a Brendan Ryan, regardless right. of what he puts on the field. It's there. RHJ, I guess, fits in well with that with that bubbly personality. I, I was going to ask you a follow up about him too. Uh, specifically, what I saw a little bit of in the preseason and summer league, and then now you know the other night, it is maybe a poor man's version of another guy with three names. That being Michael Kidd Gilchrist, mm-hmm. a guy who's a guy who's going to play good defense, not going to fill up the stat sheet in any one category. But when you look at the end of the game, he's going to have eight points, four or five boards, a couple assists, a steal or two, a lot of a lot of hustle board stats. Kind of a, kind of a a stat filler and not a stat shower, so to speak. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you there. I think that's a very good comparison for his upside. MKG is really, really good defensively, and he can he can get to the basket. MKG's jumper was worse when he came in the league, but Rondé has has a lot of work to do in that department too. So you kind of see the same similar style. I think the absolute upside, like if Rondé Hollis Jefferson plays better than you know, he plays to the max every single day and is the best player possibly. I think a guy like Andre Iguodala is his kind of ceiling. Um, but MKG is a player type, you know, a guy who's gritty, who plays good defense, who can sneak in a few points here and there, who gets a couple steals, makes an immediate defensive impact. I think that's a really good comparison. And that's not a bad, I mean, look, that guy, MKG was a number two pick, and he still got a lot of upside. It's a pretty good comparison. You, uh, you have your work cut out for you tonight, don't you? you, you <laughs> well, I think Jared Jack has his work more than I do. But. <laughs> well, I mean, you're trying to balance... Nets Spurs game two with uh, game three of the World Series. Oh, <laughs> oh God. I, you, see, so here's the thing: when I when I'm at Barclays Center, when I'm actually covering a game and I'm like sitting down and watching, I can't focus on anything else. <laughs> like I can't. So I look. Like, I you know how the monitor they have to give you monitors. Yes. Media, like most guys will switch it to you know whatever football game they want to watch or or it's the World Series, the World Series. My monitor was strictly Yes Network because I can't put my brain there i can't do it i just can't do it so tonight i mean i and tonight i mean i'm not gonna be in san antonio i'll be in my apartment so i think i probably will have one eye scouring uh game day to see what happens but i'm i'm i don't know man i'm in i don't know how i'm I'm not feeling this that. is where the land of, of multiple devices and tablets yes. and televisions comes in handy because i know you know wednesday night i was here for the nets opener but i also had you know the world series up on my ipad just to kind of monitor the game as well while I was watching the game. So it's kind of the era of multiple devices is, is going to come in handy maybe for you this weekend with back-to-back uh, Nets and back-to-back I Mets. I know. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, this, this Mets team, I, I've never felt – so I, I, I started covering the Nets because I was a huge fan in high, in high school and college, and, like, you know, I, I hang on to every single game. I've never been more emotionally invested in a team, I think, than this New York Mets team, and it's killing me. Wow, <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's. I mean, this is. It's a, how fun has this net te- or Met team been? Oh, they've they've been July. tremendous. Yeah. I, you oh, know, yeah. but see, this this is where I have an issue. Okay, it's time to drop. And I look. I know Henrik Lundqvist has a nickname. Nicknames get swirled around. It's not the Mets' fault. I mean, Tom Verducci is the one who named Matt Harvey the Dark Knight on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He brought it up during a game. It's, it, Harvey has embraced it, though. You know, he's taken on that role. But it's just time to knock it off with all this ridiculous Thor and, 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 and the, the grominate. Just go out and pitch and win a game. Go win a game. I don't want to hear about nicknames. I just want you to go out there and win a game. Just like the manager from Bull Durham. You throw the ball, you catch the ball, you hit the ball. Go out there and win a game. Get back in the series. And Met fans need to know, okay, they need a little tough love here. This is not over. In no stretch is this over. You know, Steven Matz didn't have 33 starts this no. year. He, he, his arm is fresh. He had six. His arm is yeah. fresh. So if you get some pepper here with Syndergaard tonight, you could have Steven Matz come in next, and this series could be tied. Come on, yep. Devin. Yeah, no, I, I, my, my faith isn't dead. I promise you that. Yeah. 
And, like, the thing is, you saw with this Mets team, like, they were down five runs in a couple of games in August. It's never over. No. <laughs> well, you know, who, you, know, you know what team is exactly like that? The mirror image. It's the team they're playing right now. Yep. It's right. amazing. And that's why this World Series, for me, as just a baseball fan, is tremendous to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And the Mets are facing also probably the two weakest starting pitchers the Royals have. Jordano Ventura has been very good, but he's been very inconsistent last postseason and, and this Young. postseason. And Chris Young Who is threw a wild card. Four pitches in right. game one. He's a wild card, and I, I hate to bring this up because it's under terrible circumstances. But you never know how Edinson Volquez's absence, how long that's going to last, and whether or not they're going to need Medlin for a game five. And so the Royals may be up two zero, but they're not. Uh, they're not exactly. You know, getting the parade ready. Yeah, don't yet. don't put the stamp on the Mets yeah. being out of it so fast. I just I have to say one thing. I'm glad the Mets aren't up two zero for this reason. Can you imagine Saturday night in New York if the Mets were up two zero and then won tonight? You've got Halloween night. You've got Game Four of the World Series with the Mets on a precipice of a sweep, and the marathon begins at seven a.m. the next morning. The New York City Police Department would be the most overworked group of human yeah. beings on the planet. Uh, that is true. If all of that came to fruition. This is where we differ because that would be my ideal situation. That <laughs> <laughs> would, would be the best day in, in Devin's history. Uh, you, speak- added, you added an upset over the Spurs and you might not ever see me. <laughs> oh, by the way. It would know- look like the Sublime video. The, with the <laughs> back back to the Nets for a second here. D- don't the schedule makers know that the Nets need to play the Spurs in San Antonio at the end of December so they could turn their season around? I know. It's cr- the what? last couple years. <laughs> what? It should be like clockwork. Is what is this October Spurs it's visit? It's been Spurs OKC back well, to back around New Year's yeah. every year. Well, the good news in that is now they can turn their season around this weekend. <laughs> Seventy nine and three. Well, <laughs> or like Chuck said, the Knicks were going to go eighty two. Well, eighty and two because they got to lose yeah. to San Antonio and then clobber Memphis on the way to to you know a, a dominant. Well, not a second half this time, a dominant eighty games. I say it when he's not here as well. I'm going to say it to his face while he is with us. Well, not to his face, but to his ear because he's on the phone right now. But. Uh, I, I, we plug Devin and in, in the Brooklyn game all the time. It, it, not even if you just like the Nets. If you're a fan of basketball and you're a fan of great writing, where you're not just reading it like a zombie, you're, you're going through an article and you're chuckling like almost every paragraph while you're learning something about the game, then you need to go to the Brooklyn game and you need to read Devin's stuff. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's very kind of you guys. And I always listen to the podcast. So when I hear us shout it out, it's still very cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's net season, so we'll be talking to you a lot, I'm sure, over the next six months. Oh, for sure. Hopefully about positive things. I mean, yeah, well, you know. we're looking at, you know, you, I mentioned the tough stretch the Nets have. What is it, 10 of the first 16 are against playoff teams and 11 of 16 against teams that finished 500 or better? I'm keeping that correct. Because yeah. OKC's in there, yeah. too, but they didn't make the playoffs. So. I'm keeping track of moral victories this yeah. year. I think that's important. <laughs> I mean, Yeah, I think you have to. I mean, but the thing is with this team, like, and, and I think I said this in the in the preview, I don't remember exactly, but, like, it's not that losing is the right thing to do, but for what they want to do, they might just have to lose. You know, they might just have to like, deal with the fact that this is going to be not a right. great year, and then two years from now you still have, you know, the space to add somebody, you have all these young guys, and you have a continuity to build on. Well, And you've got a guy like Chris McCullough waiting on the sidelines yeah. who's going to yeah. sit out the year, it looks like, but, you know, hopefully he won't be Joel Embiid. Yeah, uh, for I, I, I don't think he's going to be that. And, like, he... He's a really – I mean, I've only watched a few of his Syracuse games, but he's a really talented – like, there's a lot of – there's a lot that guy could become. Well, like, and, There's and, a lot. And the other thing, they, they needed to part ways w- with Darren Williams. And, you know, th- this was just step one, as you said, in trying to get out of the quicksand that they made themselves yeah. and then dove directly into. Well, okay, <laughs> you know, acquiring Darren was step one to what we saw the last two years – you know, three years even with the, then the acquisition of Gerald Wallace, and then they brought Look, in Joe. The and Kevin front Hart. office did everything yeah. they possibly could to bring Mikhail Prokhorov that title he wanted in the first five years of being with the team. And you know what? They weren't that far off. And in their series against the Heat, they were a couple of Chris Bosch threes not going down from beating the Heat. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at it that way. I mean, the front office did a great job in trying to, to get yep. that championship here to Brooklyn. They just fell short. It is what right. it is. And, and I think, like, a lot of people, the, the main consensus, I think, nationally and among fans, is that Billy King did a terrible job. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Billy King is the best GM in the NBA, but he had a directive 
and he did what he could yeah. to fill that directive. It he, didn't he work. Did. That happened. It didn't. I mean, now, if it worked and the Nets got a title under their belts, you know, they could go through what they're going through right now, and, and you know, he'd get a bit of a pass. But mm-hmm. because they didn't, you know this area, you know New York, you grew up here like we did. Yep. Uh, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, we, I know. <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, the, the funny thing is King hit on a lot of the smaller moves, and the, every bigger move he made at the time you could argue made them better at the time. Right. I mean, nobody thought trading away Chris Humphreys and Gerald Wallace for Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce was not going to make them better. Right. You know, Joe Johnson, they gave up nothing for. The mm-hmm. first-round picks was the thing in the future that is really hamstringing them now and is a big problem. But they did that because they thought what they were going to do was bring them a title. And, Devin, and it was a high risk, and it failed. Spe- but it happened. Speaking of first-round picks, if, if, if they lose enough to get into the lottery this year, which is very possible... Does that pick go to Boston? Yes. Oof. No matter what it happens, it goes to Boston. Wow. Yeah, that, that, that is a killer. But the thing is, like, you, the Nets can't – I don't think that they should make moves that'll, bring the, that'll make them better in the short term to make the playoffs, for example, this year, um, if it hurts their long-term view. Because that pick is gone. You know, they can't get it. It's you, gone. It's going to be in Boston if it's number one or number 18. You know, does, it's going to happen. Does it so, matter if they, get, you know, if they get rid of Joe's expiring contract? I mean, do you see him being traded? Well, for future, for future assets, would that not be if they're, you know, like you're saying, if they're, if they're 12 and 45 at the All-Star break, is Joe Johnson going anywhere for anything they can get not the best move to make? Well, I think the, the question there is, what are you going to get for him and how much is it going to hamstring you down the line? I mean, if they trade for somebody, because Joe's, Joe's got $25 million coming off the books, and that $25 million is a majority of what they're going to eventually offer to Mike Conley in June. Right. And if they, don't, if they trade for, I don't know, you know, somebody who's got $13 million in the cap next year, like an Eric Gordon or something, is that worth the trade-off of losing the risk than of signing a guy in free agency who you really want. Well, that answers right. my question right there. Well, it's, it's sort of what then the best-case scenario may be is sort of what happened last year with Kevin Garnett, where you bring right. in a guy like Thad Young who right. might, even, even if it's a lesser player, and I'm not saying Thad Young was a lesser player than Garnett because clearly the, the opposite is true, but you know, even if it's a lesser player who's making a ridiculous, absorbent amount of money to match salaries and they're all gone at the end of the year, right. then you know maybe you get an asset, maybe you get a pick in there as well, and that's right. the actual asset, and the guys that come along are just there to match salary and be gone come June first or July first. Right, and I think that the question more than is who is going to take Joe Johnson on, and I think that's very possible. You know, and there's an, the other option is the Nets could even explore a buyout if they can't figure out a deal because you know Joe's 34 years old, he's going to be expiring. He clearly wants to win a title at some point in his career. You know, if they buy him out at like a very low cost for the rest of the year, and then he goes to Cleveland or something. Um, but if they do make a trade, I think that the best move they could possibly make is get somebody who either is way, way better than any of us could ever imagine or get, you know, a, like you said, a lesser player, maybe a couple of protected, a, a protected pick or something like a couple of second rounders. Um, and then, you know, that way you don't hamper your future chances at getting a guy like, again, like Mike Conley or like DeMar DeRozan or someone like that. Right, exactly. Even, you know, you can pick up a rookie or something there, too, you know. Totally, somebody, yeah. Somebody like, you know, on a Rondé Hollis-Jefferson level who's a late first-round, early second-round pick, kind of scuffling around, not not so much guaranteed low salary, and he's the asset along with, I don't know, name any player on in the league who's on a team that's making a lot of money that's never going to play. Contract. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there, I'm sure there's a few of them, but... You know, we'll see what we'll see what happens in March. We'll also see what happens December fourth when they play the Knicks. That's going to be an interesting, you know, the first matchup of the Lopez I, brothers, you know, and I, as yeah. inter- intracity rivals. And, and, so. and I think the Knicks have basically the same problem as as the Nets, the, the backcourt. But what I happens? Mean. You know, what happens if both teams show up? You know, two and fourteen. <laughs> you know, is, is Madison Square Garden going to be sold out? Absolutely, they're always oh, yeah, there. Madison Square Garden. They're always there. Yeah. That's but, not a question. But, I agree, but it's not going to be a pretty game. No. It'll be worth watching Brooke and Robin and, and seeing the post game. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. I want to know what they do in prep, like the night before. That's what I want they, to know. They, see, networks have dropped. I mean, there should have been a Lopez brother, some kind of reality show this year. I pitched that to you. You did. Multiple times. You did. <laughs> but it should have happened. It should have been a reality. I know. I know. I mean, it would have been perfect. They're they're goofy. They're funny. Right. They're 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 smarter than they get credit for. Like it would have been a great show. No, oh, they're both Stanford great. guys. I mean, yeah. they have to be. Yeah. Brooke uh, loves I, comics. 
We missed out. Yeah, we did. Anyway, Devin, thanks a lot for coming on, buddy. We appreciate it. You got it, guys. You always were tremendous as always, and we'll, we look forward to talking to you down the line and on our first BK Connect. I can't wait. All right, buddy. Have a great day. You too. See you, Dev. All right, there he goes, Devin Carparody of the Brooklyn Game.com. Good stuff. Good stuff as always. You know, and, I mean, we're one game into the season, and we got that. So imagine yeah. what's going to happen in a few weeks when we're 10, 15, 20 games in. It's a football Friday. It is a football Friday. The World Series is going on. Mm-hmm. And we talked about basketball for one game minutes. into the season for 30 minutes. All good stuff as there, usual. Is there nothing we can't do? I'm pretty terrible at a few things in life. Soccer? Yeah. yeah it's <laughs> not my bag. NYCFC uh, season is over, though, so yeah. they did not make the playoffs. Uh, the they regrouped. They'll have their three big players uh, playing with yeah. them from game one next year. Who knows? Something it's an expansion happen. team. You never expect them to, to no. be great in year one. No. Although the Diamondbacks, Panthers, and Jaguars have set the template for being great in year you know, three or four. Yeah. So Tom Coughlin beat Don Shula 62-7. to seven. Mm. Oof. That was a rough one to watch. And the Diamondbacks won the World Series in 2001 after starting in 98. That was terrible. So, Anyway, twenty years of Jaguars ja- football. I think the Jags were nine and seven that year too. Went into the playoffs and just destroyed Don Shula and, and Dan Marino. Tom Coughlin, I, I forgot. You know, not that I forgot, but yeah, he was the head yeah, coach. Yeah, he was the head. It coach. was Dom Capers in Carolina, yes. was it not? Yeah. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. How about that? Don Capers getting the getting the short end of the stick with two expansion teams. And Kerry he was Collins coaching the Texans too. Wasn't Kerry Collins the quarterback in the I, Super yes. Bowl against the Eagles? Yes, he was. Oh, no, the Patriots. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, they beat the Eagles in the NFC Championship right, game, they, too. Yeah, so. right. Sorry. Well, that's probably where my, my head was at. But, uh, yeah, they, they beat the Patriots. One I of, lost to the Patriots. 32-29, and I won that game. I won the, the box pool here at work. That was Vinatieri's first I had, Hall of Fame-making field goal. I had 2-9. and nine, And I looked at my wife, and I said, you know. <laughs> yeah. 2-9, and nine, and then he hits that field goal to win 32-29. I'm like, we won. We just won. I'm a winner. I want the money. The money is the money. Mine. The money. Vegas vacation. Ding. Sid Caesar. Mm. I want good the stuff. Money. The money. It is a, you, you mentioned it is a football Friday, um, and it is a World Series Friday. And yeah. I think we, we talked you know, a little bit about, to, to go to the World Series, we talked a little bit about what's going on. People talk my ear off at the gym all the time. They want to know what I think the Mets and their pitchers should do. Noah Syndergaard throws 99 miles an hour. If I'm Noah Syndergaard, I throw the ball 99 I miles throw an the ball 99 miles an hour. I don't change my game plan. I go to the mound. I pitch like any other time I would go out there and pitch. And if the Royals are hitting me all around the park throwing 99, I tip my cap. I go into the dugout and I say, all right. I got to come up with something else. This isn't working. Let's let, let's be fair here too as we we head to City Field. The American League is at a disadvantage in no National DH. League parks because Absolutely. of no DH. Here's where that comes into play. This isn't going to be a situation where, you know, does David Ortiz play one game at first base because the Red Sox are going to lose a DH? No, for because three days. if Morales plays first, Hosmer's yeah. on the is, bench. Is this a game where maybe, you know, you throw A-Rod out there at third for a game because they're going to lose the DH. This isn't a case of where you're going to say, okay, well, you know what, Albert Pujols, you're playing first, uh, or Edwin Encarnacion, you're playing first because, you know, whatever. Kendris Morales was the cleanup hitter on this team, and you're losing him, or you're losing Eric Hosmer, who was the other cleanup hitter on this team. Those guys hit 4-5 or five yeah. most of the year. Game-winning sacrifice fly yep. and the single that – Gave the Royals the lead. Yep. I mean, those guys hit four or five, and you're losing one of them because that's the only position Morales is playing <gasps> if I have an idea. he's in the field. Pitch Morales. <sighs> Throw him out there. And bat him fourth. Was, that's like serious Joe Madden right there. <laughs> Pitch fourth. I, I, again, like I said, too, I mean, you know, Mets fans, unfortunately, because of their history, they wrote the gospel on giving up, as Panic at the Pretty Disco much. once said. Pretty much. But, uh, you know, Here's the thing about it. The gospel according to Queen. <laughs> Here's the thing about it. As I mentioned when we were talking to Devin, Jordano Ventura has been very inconsistent yes. over his career, over his postseason career especially. Uh-huh. Chris Young threw 50 pitches in game one. And, yes, he's coming back on three days rest, but he's also in his late 30s. Mm-hmm. So, you know, who knows what's going to happen. He had a very good year in Seattle last year, and he had a very good year with Kansas City this year. But who knows what's going to happen. 
if something happens to one of those guys where they're out of the game quickly, you've got to go to Medlin and or Morales. That that kind of kills them for a couple games. Then you come back to game five. Cueto threw 121 pitches. It was 120 plus. I don't know what the final count was, but it was 120 plus the other night. He's not going to come back on game three, you know, off day game three, game four. He's not going to come back on three days rest after 120 pitches in the World Series and be as effective as he was. If Volquez isn't back, and again, under unfortunate circumstances, but if, or his frame of mind's not right, there, there's a lot that could happen. I, I would wait until Mo- if I'm a Mets fan, I would wait until Monday to give up. You know, if I'm going to give up, don't don't throw your hands up in the air. I mean, this team has been magic since August. Mm-hmm. Magic. Uh, and it doesn't just go away. And the only thing the Mets really have to do, look, the top of the lineup has to get it going. What's yeah. the top of the lineup? Like 0 for 13 over not the first two games? They're, they're not good. Just like and I said. And Granderson's Devin, not even getting on base, as he, no. as, which he's I'm done sorry, all year. They're, they're not. Oh, he, he's got that home run. Yeah. I think they have one hit. One hit. That's all we got is one hit. It. it seasons, series, they could all shift on a dime. I've seen it countless amounts of times in my lifetime. I was a Yankee fan back in 1996 at the gym. I can remember where I was they after down, they went down 2 nothing. They were down 6-3 in the And they were inning. going to Atlanta. This is before yep. game three. Sitting there saying, I waited this long. Because I, I don't remember. Look, I was... You were what, four in nineteen seventy eight. I was f- five and seventy eight. I was four and seventy seven, and I was eight and eighty one. I don't even remember eighty one. I-, I cannot tell you I remember that world. I, I just don't. I waited basically my entire life for the Yankees to be in a World Series that I can remember, and they're going to get swept. They're going to. They're going to Atlanta with that pitching staff. There's no way the Yankees are coming back. Three future Hall of Famers were on that staff. Three future Hall of Famers. And the Yankees went through them not once, but twice. Yep. And like I said, they were down 2 nothing and 6-3 in the eighth inning in Atlanta. And then we Jim, all know what and happened. And then Jim Lairitz happened. Yes. And the rest is history, as they say. The I'm Steiner the, Sports Collectible is in my office. I'm the same way. And we bought it at – I remember you bought it at World of Beer. Yeah. Um, I'm the same way with remembering World Series. Obviously, the Yankees were decent to dismal in my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I remember I remember Kirk Gibson's home run. I remember the Bash Brothers in the Earthquake World Series. I remember, you know, the Big Red Machine Part 2 with Eric Davis and company winning. Mm-hmm. But the first World Paul Series... O'Neal. The first World Series I really remember watching vividly was 91, only because, as you know, growing up around here, like I did, we had TBS. The Braves were on TBS right. still. They were always on. I used to watch wrestling on Saturday nights, and the Braves were always on right after that. Gordon Soley? Gordon Soley, Jim Ross, all, <laughs> all of World Championship Wrestling. But the Braves, you know, usually in the summer, the show would be cut short because the Braves would be on at 7.05, things like that. So I watched a lot of Braves and Hawks games mm-hmm. in, in my late childhood, uh, into my early teens. So I remember watching that vividly because the Braves Station were in it. TBS, that's today. At 7.05. At 7.05. It always started at yep. 05. 05. Keep you watching. Yep. So that's the first one I really remember vividly. And then obviously 96, I mean, you know. Bill Dance, Orlando Wilson, fishing shows, the WCW. Oh, fishing with Orlando Wilson. Yes. I gone fishing again. <laughs> this stuff. I don't know how, like if the SATs were about remembering old-time Useless TV, information. I would have been at Harvard. Well, I remember when I worked at it. When I worked at when it was versus. Unfortunately, it was algebra and yeah. trigonometry at eight o'clock in the morning. You know, when I worked at versus uh, before it was NBC yes. Sports Network. Yes. Uh, doing ticker on Sunday mornings, and they'd have all the same shows on. You know, fishing with Babe Winkleman and all that kind of stuff. It brought me back to like yes. watching fishing with Absolutely. Orlando Wilson on Saturday mornings. There was nothing else to do. And then wrestling, and then American Gladiators. Yes. <laughs> On we, Fox Five, we we lived the same childhood we pretty did. much. We're only seven years seven yeah. years apart, so yeah. give or take. But the the whole point of that is that's really the first you know World Series I remember. So Mets fans, I mean, that are my age, not even your age, because your age you would remember '86. I do pretty well. I do. But Mets fans that are my age, you have the Subway Series and the heartbreak that caused, and then you have. Carlos Beltran not swinging in in, in Game Seven. You don't. There's not a lot that. There's not a lot. Do you remember where you were for that one? 
uh, it was October of 2006. Mm-hmm. I was probably at the bar. I was at game. SBC in Stanford. I was probably at Bobby V's. Which is no longer there. Nope. Surrounded by Met fans on karaoke night. Uh, karaoke was shut down until the game was over for good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, because everybody would have requested me. And everybody Mets. knew I was a Yankee fan. Everybody knew where I worked. So everybody, the, you know, the bases are loaded. Uh, the Mets have Beltron up, you know, whatever. They're getting in my face. They're pointing. They're, they're saying, oh, we're going to win. We're going to win. That ball hooked in there, and he looked at it. And I turned around, screamed in the – I mean, this is when I was – I still had a pulse when it came to this stuff. Now, eh, I don't care. The Mets could win the World Series. It doesn't bother me. But then, pointed in their face, ran outside the front door, and just screamed. People looked at me like I was insane, and I was. But the joy I got out of them losing that series in 2006, I'd have to go back to 1993 in Mimosa Hall, at Rowan College back then. It's now Rowan University. The entire dormitory was full of Phillies fans. Full of them. Oh, uh, and Joe Carter? Joe Carter hit that home run. You could hear a mouse fart. Oh, Joe Carter. We went up for the night. But the Yes, thing, Big Daddy. But the only person you heard screaming to drown out those mar- mouse farts was this guy. Christian. Right here. Those two times, just I, I can remember them vividly where I was and what I did. Uh, and best believe, my door was shut and then locked. <laughs> I, was, I was a freshman in high school in 1993. <laughs> shut and locked in Mimosa Hall after I did that. I was a freshman in high school. Because Philly fans so. don't play. No. As we know. The first game I ever went to at the Vet was Phillies Yankees, oddly enough. When I went to school, Labor Day weekend of '97, the Yankees came to town, and I went to see the, I went to see Phillies Yankees at the Vet. Almost got my rear end kicked at the Vet for an Eagles Giants game. I was in the 700 level, and there was a pass interference call that I voiced my opposition to, and someone stood up in front of me and told me to uh, shut the front door. <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't know if you, if you saw the video of the, the guy in the red Eli Manning jersey getting knocked out on the 69th Street platform after the I game did two not. weeks ago. I did not. It's it's on the internet. You can look at it on Barstool or look, somewhere else. We were down. It's, it's it's. We were down for the World Series in 2009. Kevin Sullivan and I were walking back to our rental car after probably game, game five, three or four or five. Was yeah, that, that was it. Was the middle games? Right? I think it was five. It might have been four or five, but we're walking back to our rental car, mining our, didn't even look in anybody's direction. And there was this group of guys, obviously not happy that the Phillies just lost, and said, What the front door are you looking at? And Kevin just said, Get to the car. Just get to the car. Just get to the car. Because, you know, I mean, look. There, Philly, let me tell you what. There's not there are all, a special brand of people. Not all Philly fans are like that, but there are the select more than few that perpetuate the stereotype. I learned very early in my life, never wear your team, your team's jersey, shirt, whatever, to the vet, well, now the link, to the Spectrum, now the Wachovia or whatever. Well, well now it's just the well, center. Oh, the center. Because Wells Fargo is no longer the title sponsor. Oh, the bank. Whatever the bank is. The FU center that. as yes. it was for a while. Uh, <laughs> Apt name. And just never wear your team's colors because it's not going to end well. I, I, can, I can remember two, two instances of this perfectly. And I'm, I'm an Eagles fan, but all of my other sports fandom allegiances are New York. And I'm a Gator fan in college football. But... So my junior year of college, I was sort of like hanging out with a girl that lived across the hall. And in like late September, she knocked on my door and she's like, she's like, you like hockey, right? I'm like, yeah, of course. She's like, are you you a Flyers fan? I'm like, no, I'm a Rangers fan. She's like, oh, even better. She had tickets to, it was a preseason Flyers-Rangers game at the Wells Fargo Center. So she's like, you want to go? I'm like, Yeah. Sure, why not? I mean, it's preseason hockey, but it's Flyers-Rangers. And this was like 1999, so this was like the 
This, this was like this the was be- two years after Gretzky. This and this Messier was lost this was the, the middle of the the Rangers have everybody you've ever heard of and none of them are any good anymore phase. It was right after yeah. Messier and Gretzky, yeah. the Theo Fleury era yeah. and and all that. Uh, Lindros. So I'm wearing my Rangers hockey jersey, which I've had since 1993, mm-hmm. and I got destroyed at a preseason hockey game. I got destroyed by everyone in the general sections around us. See, you should you know, just wore your Eagles jersey and been done with yeah, it. Yeah, I, I should have. I, I didn't have one yet at the time because the oldest one I have is a McNabb. But ah. Anyway, uh, so then flash forward, I'm going to say 10 years later, um, I went to an Eagles-Giants game in Philly mm-hmm. with uh, a couple of friends of mine. One of them is from Philly. So she's all fillied out. I'm all fillied out. Our two friends that we were with, my buddy Disco was smart. He wore no, like a Notre Dame like jersey to the game, like a t-shirt. Neutral. Game. He was Switzerland. Whatever, Notre Dame. That's yep. what you got to do. Poor Colleen is wearing her Eli Manning jersey. She's like happy with her. Girl's in a walking boot. She had had like surgery to fix like a Liz Frank fracture or something. Okay. She's in a walking boot with me and mm-hmm. my buddy Adam is – 5'8", 225 pounds. He's, he's, he's a bowling ball of a man. Okay. And people are unmercilessly hammering Colleen because she's wearing a Giants jersey. And she's like half like crippled. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It they doesn't did not care. Matter. I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to have to kill somebody. Like, I'm wearing, you know, my Donovan McNabb jersey. On, I'm eagled out. I'm like, I'm going to have to kill somebody if they pay, like it, if something happens to her. It like, does, just, it's not just Philly. Come on, guys. It's not just Philly. Don't get me wrong. Um, but most of it is, <laughs> I mean, that's where my memories come from. I, I was at a Phillies Yankee game. They, it was the first year of interleague 1997. I got tickets for all three games in Philly. Cause I was down there in college and well, it was the year after I got out, but my buddy was still down there. So I took him to the game. He was a Philly fan. I'm a Yankees fan. The Phillies swept the Yankees that three game series in 1997, the first year of interleague. Mm-hmm. And I know like I, had, I said, I was at one of those. I, I had my Yankee jacket on. And I go into the bathroom, and this kid couldn't have been more than seven or eight years old. And he says, the Yankees bleeping suck. So it's taught at a very early mm. age down there. But, you know, I went to a Syracuse St. John's basketball game at the Carrier Dome. And this was like the second year of the Mike Jarvis era after all the uh, Fran Fraschilla players were graduated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the team went to stinking again. Um, but we were up 5 nothing, and I knew I had a cheer early. If there was an early lead, because there was – I was – No I, chance I was late. so happy that night. My girlfriend at the time took me to the original Dinosaur Barbecue. I got this sampler platter. I was so – I didn't have to eat for the next week. It was tremendous. Yeah, sounds about right. Go, I'm, you know, we got great seats. She's a, she went to Syracuse. She's a Syracuse fan. Johnny's are up five nothing early. I'm standing up, going, "Yeah, we hit a three pointer." I'm like screaming, and I had two St. John's fans next to me, so I knew I had like a little a buffer zone, a little circular buffer zone. I got somebody threw their spare change at me, <laughs> like whipped it at me from behind. I got hit with a roll of toilet paper at a at a. Um, at an Eagles Giants game at the uh, at the vet, I was in the lower level. I had an MSNBC jacket on. How did somebody have a t- roll of toilet paper? I don't paper? know. I had an MSNBC jacket on, and the MSNBC logo on the back was a perfect bullseye. And I got up to cheer something, and boom! I got. Uh, hey, I'm happy. See, it was toilet paper. I've been, to th- and it was two ply, so I was good. I've been to three. Oh, excellent! Take that home. <laughs> I should have probably stole it from the dorms like we did when we were kids. Uh, I've been to three Eagles games outside of Philadelphia, two of which were at, at the Meadowlands, one at MetLife and, and one at, at the old Giants and Stadium. And how was your experience? The first one was an Eagles-Jets game. That was probably worse than the Giant game, if, if I had to speculate. Mm, yes and no, and here's why. I, we were in an Eagles-Jets game. I bought the tickets. Actually, I was working for WWE at the time. I bought the tickets from Howard Finkel, mm-hmm. who had season tickets at Finkel the time. Finkel and Einhorn. Finkel and, and Einhorn. Finkel and Fink, Einhorn. Fink had great seats. I mean, mm-hmm. the, we were on like the 15-yard line, Eagles sideline. Um, what do you know, you know about Rafe? 
Soccer style kicker graduated Collier High class in 1980. I'm done. Um, I'm done. So we had great seats, and it was a it was a it was a crappy game. Mm-hmm. The Jets kicked three field goals. The Eagles kicked two, and then the only touchdown of the game was Donovan McNabb hit Kevin Curtis. This was 2000. They played this year, so 15, 11, 2007. Okay, maybe. Um, and Donovan McNabb hit Kevin Curtis on a wide receiver screen, and Curtis went. 80-something yards for a touchdown. That no, was the, the, six, only, the 60 stop yeah. actually worked. The only touchdown of the game. And we you know, we were cheering. We, me and my buddy Scott went because he came up from Philly. Mm-hmm. And we're like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. You know, we're cheering. We're wearing our gear. And the Jets fans are like, oh, here we go. A couple of, couple of A-holes, you uh-huh. know, whatever. The rest of the game, we, you know, we, we cheered a good play, but we weren't like obnoxiously like, yo, Eagles, go Flyers. Like, you know, like yeah, those yeah, kind yeah, of people. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, we, like we're from Delaware County and we're showing it. And... <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, at the end of the game, the people that were sitting next to us were like, hey, you know, you guys were all right. Like, yeah. you know, whatever. Like, again, See, there wasn't a lot to cheer. It was 13-9. And, the and, Giants game was uh, Andy Reid's last game a few years ago on mm-hmm. New Year's. It wasn't the Westbrook it, game, was it? No. It was, okay. it was the game where the Giants scored three touchdowns in the first quarter and kept the foot on the gas from there. It was three years ago, 2012. Uh, December of 2012, right before New Year's, when the Eagles uh, fired Andy Reid. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And it was just, it was like eight degrees outside, and it was miserable, and the Eagles were down 21. So the entire game, I was just yelling obscenities at Andy Reid from the 400 level. Like, you're, you're fired, you Lorax-looking beep, and like all, just, just being a typical Philly fan, uh-huh. but directed at Andy Reid. Right, right. And so even the Giants fans were like, okay, this guy's probably a little nuts. And, of course, my wife was my girlfriend at the time was uh-huh. a Giants fan, and her roommate was with us who was a Giants fan, and my buddy Disco actually came to that game with us. He's a Giants fan. So I'm surrounded by Giants fans. I had yeah, I had nothing. But that was good though because they could just turn around and say, "No, it's cool. He's he's fine. Don't, he's just don't worry. he's just what he's just a weirdo." <laughs> he's had it with Andy Reid. And the other one, the other one I went to was was an Eagles Redskins game at FedEx Field, which was just like by chance. So that, that my, one, that one I wasn't even eagled out. Here's my basic rule of thumb: when when, when you go to the opposition's arena to see your team, if you're not obnoxious and you're just rooting, like if you're not overstepping your bounds. And I'm not saying you can't. It's not against the law. But in my realm of reality, when it comes to that, going to some, somebody else's arena and cheering for your team, just do it with respect. Yeah. Have respect for that arena. It sounds corny and doofy, but at the same time, I think if you do that, and, and you, you, know, you make friends with the people in your section, before, hey, look, I'm a giant fan, but... Yeah, I'm gonna root for my team. I, I, you know, I don't want any issues. I, I'm just gonna root if there's a touchdown, whatever. But the thing that always comes into play, which we didn't bring up yet, and it makes a lot of people do a lot of stupid things. Booze. Yeah, and I'm not saying I've never done it, but people walk into the stadium and they're already cocked. They are. Yeah, and. That's where most of these issues come from. And you got to understand, this is, I get it. People work hard. They have season tickets. This is their one day to, you know, be, have, have a very cathartic experience and go to the stadium, get all their frustrations for the week out. But look, if somebody, if somebody especially if somebody's there with their kid or they're young and they're with their girlfriend, I mean, come on. Be respectful. If they're being respectful, be respectful back. Same. That, that that's all. I'm saying. Same thing. We were me, me and two of my friends. We were at um or two friends and I is that proper English? Who cares? I'm a writer. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, went to the Eagles Giants game at the Link last year, which was Columbus Day weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, long weekend. So we went. It was Sunday night football. We were we tailgated from about three o'clock on. So I mean, we weren't. You know, intoxicated, but we were hanging out, having a good time, listening to games because I had. The difference is, I'm a happy drunk. Right, I had my satellite radio going, listening to the four o'clock football games. We're hanging out, you know, throwing a football around. People are playing cornhole. It's 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 a party. And the people around us are just like there's people around us that are just belligerently drunk. And we get into the we get into the game, and some of the people that were like a few cars down from us are a section over and like five rows back, and we see them. We're like, oh, there they are, like. You know, because they were, like, belligerently, obnoxiously mm-hmm. drunk going into the mm-hmm. game. Sometime in, like, the third quarter, this guy stands up. He's been getting ragged all night. He's wearing an Eli Manning jersey, which, again, like you said, just be smart about that. Yes! 
the Giants made like the one good play they made that game, and I mean it was what was it twenty seven nothing? I mean Victor Cruz Torres Patel. It was it was a yeah it was a yeah chicken you know what show all around. Mm-hmm. Dude stands up and just starts barking at these guys, and the next thing I know, I see is a full a full beer blast him right in the chin, like right between the one and the zero. And I'm like, my first thought was, wow, that's a waste of a like twelve dollar beer. See, that's, and my second thought is, how did that guy not know that was going to happen? That, that's where when your team is getting crushed like that, and you're walking out and people are screaming at you. That I get. I mean, you deserve it. If you're going to wear the jersey, take and, it like a man. Right. You take it like a man. You just walk out. If you're going to, and, and that's the perfect situation. Like I saw a great shot of a Mets fan in Kansas City after they took that five one lead. He was sitting down with his arms folded with, like, the Debbie Downer face. That's all you could do at that point. Mm -hmm. You can't get in somebody's face and start – even if you're yelling at your team, you're going to take some flags. Was that before or after they brought in the human white flag, John Neese, for for the seventh inning? He pitched well in game one. Yeah. Everybody pitched well in game one. But, yeah, the point is you have to be smart about – about that. This public service announcement is times, brought to you by the Chris Sheeran Show. But then there are times, like I said, with my friend who's wearing the walking boot where people just go over lines like, really? Like, yeah. come on. Well, you know, I think. Hey, peaked in high school, I, Rob Lowe, relax. I don't even, you know? <laughs> I don't even think like people in Philly, if they heard this podcast right now, they would like puff their chest out and, and, and boast. probably throw batteries at their speakers. Well, no, but this is. I, it, look, if this wasn't the attitude, I mean, this is what everybody experiences. This is not just us. Mm-hmm. Anybody who goes to Philly and wears another jersey, it doesn't matter what team. It, it's just I know a guy that was a Cowboy fan, went to the vet. Uh, he didn't wear a jersey, but someone in his row did. And he was thrown down a flight of steps in the upper deck. Thrown down a flight of steps right next to my friend. Hmm. You hear these stories. You just say to yourself, well, I know I just bought this jersey, but. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Yeah, don't, I'm gonna don't wear, wear my flannel. <laughs> See, it's weird. New York-Philly rivalry is weird, too, because the Jets, the Jets don't play the Eagles. So, like, that's – they play once every four years. The Giants and Eagles play, you know, twice a year. Mm-hmm. So that's a little different there. The Knicks and Sixers and Nets are all in the same division. So, yeah, so they yeah, play but, each other a lot, so there's a rivalry there. The Flyers, Rangers, Islanders, and Devils all were or are in the same division, so there's a rivalry there. Yankees, Yankees, Phillies is a lot different than Mets, Phillies, but everybody just hates the Yankees. So it, it's kind yeah. of on that level. Yeah, it, It's really weird. There's really that only one. Jets, Jets, Eagles is really the only one that's not ridiculous. Well, really quick on the Giants taking on the Saints this week, and if you want to talk about your Eagles, you can, but... Yeah, on a bye week. Um, no grievances to air on Festivus for the Eagles, or... You think about it. You, they, yeah. You they, stew while, okay. while I talk about the Giants and the Saints this week down in New Orleans. Now, the Giants never play well in the Superdome. They, I mean, it's, uh, historically, they play uh, awful down there. The only game they played really well at the Superdome was when um, Katrina rolled through, and the game was up at the Meadowlands, and they actually beat the Saints mm-hmm. in a Saints. Well, the Saints are a really weird Saints home. Game. Saints were always a different team back then, outside yeah. the Superdome, um, just like the Falcons are now. Again, I'm going to say this. I said it to Art Stapleton last week, and I'm going to say it again. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo is doing a ridiculous job. With, you know, JPP, he's back in the fold. He's back with the Giants. Signed the contract. He can make. Upwards of over $8 million, but he has to hit a lot of incentives. Like, I think he has to have seven and a half sacks Mm -hmm. to hit that max amount of payout. Uh, And, you know, with the fireworks, he left 14.8, I think, guaranteed on the table. That was the tender amount, yeah. Yeah, so he, he, he took a huge hit. But from what Tom Coughlin said this week, you know, he's very impressed with the shape he's come in. Uh, he, he's been posting the workout videos on, on Twitter and on Instagram. The guys come in uh, with reckless abandon. I mean, he, he wants to prove that, you know, he knows he messed up, but he wants to come back. When he does come back, which they're saying is week 10 against the Patriots or after their bye in week 12, say what you want. It makes a difference for that defensive line. Absolutely. It's going to open up uh, the other – whatever side he's on, it's going to open up – the other side, because if JPP can prove he could get to the quarterback, it's going to pay huge dividends. But he's not in there this week, and this is why I'm scared to death of this game at 1 o'clock. The Giants faced 
a very mediocre Matt Castle last week with the Cowboys. They picked him off three times on some awful passes, by mm, the way. Yeah. They have shown that against a mediocre quarterback, they could put something together on defense and get a win. Kirk Cousins with the Redskins. Uh, Matt Castle. Matt Castle with the Cowboys. There's two. Uh, Tyrod Taylor with the Bills. There's three. And I'm usually good at this, but I can't remember their fourth win off the top of my head. Um, but this week, Drew Brees. It's Drew Brees. No Jimmy Graham, obviously. He's with the Seahawks. But Did they beat Tampa Bay? They played Tampa no, no, Bay? no. Giants didn't, didn't beat Tampa Bay. But that would have been a good example of Jameis Winston and another quarterback. Uh, well, let's do it. It was Cowboys. Tennessee. Tennessee. No. Tennessee? No, no, no. They didn't beat Tennessee. It was Cowboys, it was Falcons, and it was Tony Romo and Matty Ice. Yep. So there's two right there. Then they beat my the, point. Then they beat the Skins then on Thursday night. they beat the Skins on Thursday night. Then the following week. Detroit. No, it wasn't Detroit. Wow, why can't we come up with this? And I don't have my phone. So why don't you look it up on your okay. phone while I continue to talk? I just think, you know... Steve Spagnuolo, the job he's done has been awesome. But when it comes down to it, and Lou's looking up the other quarterback right now that they were able to beat. But against, I don't want to call Tony Romo elite, but I want to say against. He's, he's a former Pro Bowl quarterback. Yeah, he's a great quarterback. Against great quarterbacks this season with no pass rush and Prince still injured, this giant defense it, it just can't compete with a good quarterback. Now, I know what the Eagles did to Breeze, but that was at the link. It wasn't at the Superdome. The Giants, no pass rush, still not 100% in their 49ers, set. Colin Kaepernick. Oh, there you go. I, I mean, if that doesn't prove the tautology, there's a great word for today, boys and girls, look it up. I don't know what does. I mean, this is exactly the type of game now, look, even with a completely healthy team and a good defense, the Giants still go into the Superdome and get jobbed. So that's why this week scares the bejesus out of me. Saints have been up and down, not a good team. Their defense under Rob Ryan is, you know, not very good. So this game could go one of two ways in my eyes. It could be another one of these games that the Giants – you know, make their fans bite their fingernails down to the nubs and they're in it late in the fourth quarter. Or this could be a game where the Giants turn the ball over early, give Drew Brees a short field, and this game could be over by the middle of the second quarter. It could go that way or the other way. If Eli is not, if he doesn't protect the ball, and I know the Giants are number one in the league in turnover ratio, but that, my friend, is going to be the difference. If the Giants control, and it's hard to control the ball with no running game and you know, an offensive line still trying to find itself, let's be honest. But if they could control the ball, if Rashad Jennings can get something going this week for the first time, if they could have a 100-yard rushing attack and Eli protects Even the ball. Even if it's Orleans Darkwa. Yeah, and doesn't throw an interception and keeps Breeze and that offense off the field, that's how the Giants could win this game 24-20. to But if Eli and the Giants are turning the ball over and giving Breeze a short field, good night, everybody. It's, it's over early. It's it's a big game too because their their last two games before the bye are at Tampa and then home for the Patriots. That's yeah. a split at best. Yeah. So five and five or six and four is a big difference going yeah. into you know into the into the bye week, and then when you finish at Redskins, which they beat them you know on Thursday night, but who knows? The Redskins have played a little better of late. The the home game ish against the Jets, who are a good team at Miami, been a completely different team since Joe Philbin was fired. The Panthers. Who expected them to be this good? Yeah. At the Vikings, again, who expected them to be this good? And then they close at home against the Eagles. I mean, that's... It's not an easy schedule. Th- that's a schedule where if they go 1-5 and five in that six-game stretch, you look back at it and go, mm, okay, well, yeah, you could see that. You could also see them going 5-1 and one yeah. if they play well, well they, in Minnesota and in Miami, but... Arguably, they could you know. be 6-1 right now, but yeah. the only game they really didn't show up for was that Eagle game. Right. The, the only thing I'll say about the Eagles is I hope that there were a lot of receivers on the field and a lot of Jugs guns on the field this week during the bye week and a lot of hot hands hanging and uh, stick them because they need to learn how to catch footballs. Um, this is a team with three dynamic running backs and 
the the entire wide receiving core between them doesn't have a dynamic bone in their body. Oh, so there you go, and that so, could be why Sam Bradford is just not. I mean, look, he's never had a breakout year, yeah. but when you have no I love, receivers. I did love that thing you sent me that said, I'm Ram Sam Bradford and I have cable. I'm Eagle Sam Bradford and I have a TV antenna with aluminum foil on top of it. That was funny. That was courtesy of my cousin. It doesn't matter, though, because before we wrap up and we've reached the magic hour, I have to say that it's good that the Eagles are on a bye week because this week the city of Philadelphia belongs to the 7-0 and Temple Owls. Oh, boy. Notre Dame. This is the biggest game, arguably, in the history of the program. Is that an 8 o'clock start? 8 o'clock start, Halloween night at the link. Game, ESPN game days on Independence You're Mall. You're not going? I'm going to be in Boston. Oh, okay. Game's been sold out for weeks anyway. Um, wow, the link is sold out. The link is sold oh, out for Dame. Temple football. Yeah. But this is arguably the biggest game in the history of the program. That tells you all you need to know. Do they win? <sighs> yes. They wow. Can. They can. Do they win? I don't know. Can they? Yes. Nobody expects them to. But the way the defense has been playing, I mean, this defense has been incredible. Tyler Matakevich, senior middle linebacker, has been a spark plug. And then the offense, you know, they, they, they've got a good running game. And if that gets going, then P.J. Walker finds his receivers outside. They've got a chance. They've, they've had a couple of signature wins this year already. They came back to beat East Carolina. They beat Cincinnati on the road. I don't know. I would I'm going to be nervous, and my fingernails are going to be bleeding. Yeah, well, I, I would love to be so. on your side, but I'm with touchdown Yeah, you're Jesus. an Irish Catholic. Sorry. I, I get it. It just comes with the with the membership card. Anyway, that's going to wrap it up. We want to thank Devin Carparadine again from the BrooklynGame.com for jumping aboard with us, talk a little Nets basketball and some Mets baseball, too, his favorite team. Uh, we'll be back next week with more hijinks and hilarity on another episode of the Chris Sheeran Show on YesNetwork.com and iTunes. Thanks for listening, everybody.